Hello and welcome to the Virtual Clinical Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Sunderland. This is a spot where nurses share their stories and their experiences to provide mentorship as well as help nurses and soon-to-be nurses just like yourself along the way. I hope you enjoy these episodes. Well, welcome to episode two in season two. I'm joined today with Jen Martin, who I met a very long time ago <laughs> as a staff nurse who was a, who was a travel nurse at uh, my current unit, who is now a family nurse practitioner at an urgent care, which I can't wait to, <laughs> to hear <laughs> all the stories. She's already laughing about it, <laughs> where her patients keep her on her toes with varied issues to address. That is an understatement. <clears throat> Uh, her overarching goal in life has been to help other people, which I love that. And my favorite part and her favorite accomplishment is teaching nursing in Uganda for about a year. That's really cool. <clears throat> so welcome, Jen. Hi. To the podcast. <laughs> We've already been talking, by the way, <laughs> which I've, I have been recording. So I can't wait to put like little snippets of like what we've just discussed. A lot yeah. of cutting, cutting bodies up, which is which sounds great. Yeah, yeah. Not that I get to do it, you know, but. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us all how you started in nursing. Oh, gosh. Um, I had no clue what I was doing in nursing. Uh, honestly, honestly. So I always was interested in healthcare. Like, I love the body. I love how it works. Like, I remember reading medical books, not knowing at all what I was reading. But like, in my mind, I was like, yeah, I'm super smart for reading this. Super smart. Um <laughs> <laughs> and and so you know things progressed and I was you know I took this Votech intro to health careers and stuff like that and so you shadowed and it was all cool I loved it all because I'm a huge nerd so if I'm learning anything I'm like yeah this is awesome this is awesome so I remember following x-ray and being like cool everybody I was like this is cool well I had this one friend she's like I'm gonna be a nurse and she knew this the whole time and I'm just like I don't know but she was really smart and I was like well if she's really smart and she thinks nursing's good that's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> so, that's how, <laughs> so that's how I became a nurse. I <laughs> I feel so bad for my instructors because like here I am, a little 18 year old, smart enough to like be dangerous, you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So book and the cell seems cool. I'm gonna be a nurse. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so um, so I really had no idea oh bless everybody who had to deal with me because I you know it's like oh you want me to do this okay sure sure oh there's a technique in like changing bed sheets for patients like can I just like push them off the bed and put the sheets on right <laughs> it's um, amazing the things you think of when you're just starting out <clears throat> oh yeah in nursing school and you're just like wait wait there's like a you have to fold the corners oh yeah because this is before fitted sheets existed which I hate I can't, I can't explain <laughs> to you my disdain for fitted sheets on beds. Mm -hmm. I just, I, I grew up with, and I'm not, I haven't been a nurse that long, whole hot 10 years, 11 years, Yeah. <clears throat> but fitted sheets were one of the first things, fitted sheets, excuse me, um, folding, folding, oh. making your quote unquote hospital corners Yeah. was what I learned. And I was a Nazi on it. Like, mm -hmm. I guess I shouldn't say Nazi, but I did. Oh, well, um, I, and I think because I had the drill instructor nurse that taught yeah. me all about hospital sheets and how much they matter. 
Yeah. And <laughs> and it sounds really ridiculous when we talk about this, like how much fitted or folded corners matter to a patient, but it's what you had to deal with. Yeah. And well, it, I remember. Yeah. Well, I was working my first, like, I think it was my first year I was working at a produce farm. And I don't know if any of you guys like uh, do a lot of like tomato picking, but they, it stains your hands. It stains your hands. And I remember, I remember scrubbing and scrubbing my hands because my nurses are like, my instructor's like, you look disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) If you were my nurse, I would think you were dirty. And I get what they're saying. And it's so interesting because like I had tough nursing instructors, but they're like, you need to look apart. Right. Which at first that pissed me off. Like, you know, right. But why do I have to fit in? I want to rebel. I I agree. You know? Yeah. Well, now I'm working with these physician assistants who they're great. They're very smart, but it's interesting. If you don't present yourself in a way, your life is so much harder. Patients question you more, which is fine. Patients should question, but sometimes you just don't have time for all those questions. And if you can come in, like you like you fit the role, you are the professional, like da, 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 life goes smoother. And so like, I do feel very lucky. I mean, I still look like a hot mess most days, especially, especially now with like gowning and degowning and my hair, you know, yeah, mask wearing, you're just like, yeah, oh. yeah. So, so I can't say, I, you know, but I do hold myself in a different way. And I do think it's from my nursing instructors, you know, so I, I agree. I think it's, I have seen a lot of nursing students that do not take into account what they present themselves as mm-hmm. to different generations mm-hmm. of patients. And, oh, I, I've, I've seen so many nurses that have come <laughs> in for interviews, like, and wear like short skirts and high heels and low cut tops. And I'm just like, who taught these people <laughs> how to, how to present themselves? Yeah. Because there is a, there is a notion of freedom and how mm-hmm. you can and cannot dress and the, you know, the, the type of scrubs you wear. Yeah. Right. Because scrubs as a staff nurse are the professional outfit. And yeah. as a practitioner, I'm sure it's either scrubs or professional outfit, like a khaki pants and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. COVID's changed it that pretty much. And it sounds like this has been universal because you don't want to be washing your professional clothing in hot water. Right. Right. <laughs> so it's, 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 eat all outpatient it seems like they've moved to scrubs just because you know germs i think it also germs and and also i think it really helps to bridge inpatient care without patient care and you're still Mm -hmm. seeing the same quality of people yeah providers Mm -hmm. in an outpatient setting yeah but yeah and just think of all the people that you know come to nursing school and they have no clue what they're getting themselves into yeah. one just convinced them to, to to do nursing one day different than than you had convinced to, to do nursing and then they meet people who are super professional what they do and it's just like if you if you don't comply it's like your life is very hard yes mm. yes yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i just think of all of the people that i used to work with at different organizations and you know you, you don't really understand what you're getting yourself into until you meet those people and I mean the people that are staunch nurses that always have their scrubs and their mm-hmm. jackets they're nice you know and they are very attuned to what they're doing and mm-hmm. have this level of seriousness and you know those people definitely shaped who oh. I am today and who like 
but and that was before I was I was in like a nurse. I was a nurse extern, and you know I just didn't. I was like, oh, I'm gonna be a nurse and I'm gonna be like the people on ER <laughs> <laughs> or Grey's Anatomy. I was like, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> get there. It's like, not. It's oh. kind of the same, right? Like the, the social dynamics. Yeah. Part of yeah. The same. People do sleep with each other all the time, which is really weird to me. <laughs> I was too, I, I never picked up on any of that stuff. I'll be honest. Like I'd find out a, two months later. I'm like, what? Right. Was, <laughs> right. That's how it is. Cause people try yeah. to sneak around. Yeah. Don't even try to sneak around. Just go home. Yeah. 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 I think I remember like there were so many, like, I don't know. I, you can't tell non-medical people some of your stories because I remember telling like my family members I'm like no that can't be real I'm like no they legit like spat in my face like (laughs) they're like they had to be possessed I was like well maybe I have no medical reason for why it happened (laughs) I don't know but you know you just can't or when they're painting with their the Picasso with their stool you know yeah like you often describe female subarachnoid patients to my students as one of two people Oh gosh. Hateful, hateful people. Like uh-huh. they are hateful people. They want to curse you out. They want to yell at you. They're angry, you know, or you get the females that are just want to spread their poop on the wall and are <laughs> really hysterical about themselves. Those are, those are the fun people. And yeah. the other half, you just want to just not bother. Yeah. And they're pissed about everything. I mean, these, and I would say it's a good 75% of females. <laughs> that have subarachnoid are just really hateful. And I don't know if it's a hormonal thing that, yeah. you know, your your brain chemistry changes when, when there's blood in the head and like the 25% of people that just want to spread poop on their walls just love life. <laughs> yeah. And they have no clue they're doing it, which makes it a little bit more hysterical. And yeah. you kind of like have this good time with them. Like, okay, we're gonna just gonna get, get you cleaned up now because yeah. the poop should be long in this basin, not on, yeah, not there. Not on the front of the walls. <laughs> certainly not in your EVD. Don't do that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I was, I was working, um, this was a travel nurse assignment. I don't, I'm trying not to say names out cause that can get you in trouble, but yeah, no. it was a, a Northeast hospital okay. and um, we had this patient and everybody was like, yeah, yeah, she's fine. She was, a, uh, I forget what she was even in for, but we were like, she was nice. She was fine. No complaints from the nursing staff. Right. I, that's what I remember. No one had any issues. Her family doctor came in well, first her family came in and they're like, wow, she's not giving you any problem. We're like, no, no, she's fine. The family doctor came in and he's like, I think she had a stroke. We're like, what do you mean? Like, neurally, she's all in tech. He's like, she's never this nice. <laughs> she is never this nice. So, you know, I mean, and so we did a CAT scan and it didn't show anything. But I remember just thinking, wow, how horrible it is that you are actually like, being a normal human in my eyes and they think you had a stroke because you you've never been a kind person I know (laughs) it it is baffling when you meet people and they are either frustrated and they are just mean to you Mm -hmm. for no reason Mm -hmm. or you meet people that are just so nice and you're just like I would like to keep you forever can you just live in this room for my career that'd be great <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I I would like those people all the time. Yeah, um, but and and there's some people that you know there's nothing you can do to make their to make their stay no nice like nothing like you can give them the world and they still are just like this is this is yeah. silly this is the stupidest place. Yeah, I I remember. <laughs> 
I don't, I'm sure you've gotten this. I remember I was working in the Southeast at a hospital and I had one patient dying and I had another patient that needed ice water. So I'm getting her ice water. I'm Russian. And apparently it wasn't cold enough or something like that. And it just, I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> ice put in the water. It's only one temperature cold. <laughs> yeah. Like I just, Sorry, I just we don't have, you know, water that can be served at a temperature of 38 degrees or below yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah so it's it's a mess but but and that's what's hard like I I find you know I was just you know I, I find it hard sometimes to remember all the good things like you were saying the the nice patients and everything mm-hmm. and I think it's so easy to focus on the negative and I think that's what really makes your nursing career, like, great if you can figure out how to focus on the positive. I think I think a lot of people have a good thing, generally speaking, now with how social media has become. Mm. However, uh, I so I'm kind of like one like like a torn. I, I should say I think social media is a good tool. Yeah, I don't think that the way people are putting information on social media is a good tool. So for instance, the nurses that are on TikTok that want to make fun of things or, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, or, you know, and, and there's, there's a bunch of, of different subsets and examples that I could give, but I think what's, what is missing is the level of storytelling Ooh. that nurses want to do, but they don't know how. Yes. Because there's no way, there's no way to tell, to tell somebody <laughs> who is not in the healthcare field that your patient spreads poop on the walls yeah. and, and you're fine with that. <laughs> Could you, yeah. you know, hear yourself talking out loud. Like nobody is going to really understand that unless you're in healthcare. Yeah. Like I can tell my husband all day that I do butt stuff at work, <laughs> which to me is hysterical, but I, but it's true. I clean a lot of poop up yeah. at work. It's what, it's what you do as an ICU nurse. If yeah. nobody knows what ICU nursing is, it's a lot of poop. Yeah. <laughs> day one of my clinicals I'm literally telling my students ICU care is several things but the number one thing is cleaning up poop yeah. and, or making somebody poop or managing poop those yeah. are the three most important things you're going to learn as an ICU nurse <laughs> outside of airway breathing circulation yes. ABC, yeah. ABCP poop yeah. <laughs> yeah no it is it is and it's interesting it's it is the storytelling you're right the storytelling is very important and, I, and it's how do you go about it that that is the the difficult part because um, if you could explain to your patient that needed colder water served at a temperature of 28 degrees mm-hmm. that your person next door is dying you know in that process and you're a little bit busy right now to help yeah. that die <laughs> yeah i mean they might understand a little bit better Mm-hmm. but you can't because it's HIPAA. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I think that's the, f- that is a root cause of frustrating parts. Yeah. Because perhaps before HIPAA, you could probably explain to somebody that somebody next door is dying. Yeah. But I don't know. Cause I, I have never lived in a pre HIPAA world. <laughs> well, and I mean, I, I, I have found, um, certain units I've worked on. Cause I, I did a lot of, um, especially the the last place I was working as bedside. So that was like five years ago. I was a float ICU nurse. I went everywhere. And like some of them, like the family members really bonded. Mm -hmm. And so they knew 
like they knew from the family members. So that was always really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, because you didn't have to share anything. You'd be like, look, you know, I can't tell you, you, you need to go, <laughs> you need to go ask the family members, like, <laughs> you know, go, go communicate with the people that yeah. can tell you about yeah. the people because they, they can. Yeah. So I, that, that was one technique we did, but then it's also nice when you think about it, when you have that patient who just is yelling and yelling and yelling, because they'd be like, is everything okay? Because I would have patients check in on me. They'd be like, are you okay? I, I hear a lot of yelling. <laughs> I'm like, oh, thank you. I, I <laughs> it's been a rough night. You heard. <laughs> how, how long were you a travel nurse for? Oh, gosh. Um, I think it was only like four years. And like, so I was a like a regular uh, med surge ICU nurse for like two years, did travel nursing for like four years with some like, um, you know, volunteer work in between there. So, you know, it was a little disconjointed, but as travel nursing is, um, and that was when I got a lot of experience because, you know, you just, you got thrown into a lot of different things and, and then you meet all these different people. I think what was hardest and when I knew I needed to stop is I stopped trusting people and trust is very important. I think, I think we underestimate that a lot. Um, but you know, I'd go into the situations where you're thrown into working and you don't know which nurses to trust, which doctors to trust. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was at one hospital where it was rumored as far as I know, not proven that one of the nurses used cocaine on her breaks. Honestly, honestly, all of her patients were safer than some of the other patients that some of the nurses had, you know, like I was like, you know, I I never worried getting report from her, but like, you know, you just don't know who to trust and, uh, and you don't know which doctors to trust and, and you start become very, very cynical. At least I did. I I shouldn't generalize. Um, I was like, it's, it's time to stop. I'm starting to be cynical of everybody. And so then I was a, um, a float ICU nurse. I think it was like four to six years. I, I, I ended up in total being an ICU nurse for 11 years. So it was something like, you know, something wow. Like I would imagine that it's, that it's, you, it's really hard to be a travel nurse because of the different assignments that you pick up and what you think you're getting yourself into is not always <laughs> what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And even like, and, and I, my frustration sometimes with travel nursing mm-hmm. is that there's really no body of governance mm-hmm. for travel nurses mm-hmm. and what I mean by that is like we have the AACN mm-hmm. and you have what you can and cannot do as an ICU nurse mm-hmm. but you also have hospital policies which are not the same everywhere you go no <laughs> <laughs> and you also have quality metrics which are pretty important and people should care about them but I believe that some people it's, and because it's so different everywhere, it's not going to be the same that you oh, get yeah. get a travel nurse, which is which is difficult. Yeah, and everybody focuses on something differently. Like I was very, I don't, I mean, I don't know why, but like my big pet peeve was oral care. If I came in Ooh, and I saw and I saw that there was sage swab still there, that to me meant you did not do it every two hours, and I was pissed. <laughs> Yeah, it's a basic need. Yeah, because that, you've just you've just gone full circle with bed sheets yeah. and oral yeah. care. Because mm-hmm. honestly, we are the experts at basic care. Yeah, you think about nursing. Yeah, I would be pissed too. I mean, I there's a lot of nurses that I know that do get upset when 
oral care is not done. And it's, oh, yeah. and it's heartbreaking when you see these patients and they have like gunk in oh, oh. and they can't, they can't, <clears throat> they can't produce the same amount of saliva mm-hmm. to keep their mouth normal. Mm-hmm. And then you get, and it's like, and it's just this skin. Well, then- yeah. Well, I think, I think, and also like, I mean, it's hard to always have that empathy. You can't, there's times it shuts off and we can talk about that, you know, later. There's times you have to shut off your empathy or you're not going to survive your job. Correct. Oh, so good. And, but I feel like, at least for me, the idea of constantly feeling like you're drowning, because to me, having that, that secretions in your mouth, that's how I, I envisioned it, feeling like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it irritated me so much that you, there weren't the basic checks of right. that. Right. You know, but, and then also the studies that show it increases your, your risk of pneumonia. And so like, you know, yeah, (laughs) there's there's other good reasons. (laughs) Yeah. I've often have, have had this idea that, that there needs to be a travel nursing association Mm. that people can join and you develop these professional standards to travel nurses so that they can at least go back to something and suggest why they're doing things, you know? Well, and it's hard. Okay, so it's because everybody comes from different training. So, you know, mm-hmm. I was actually just talking to one of my um, friends yesterday. She's working at a hospital that she's like, they're just not a great hospital. And it, and it's not necessarily their fault. Like they're not, they're not doing anything neglectful. They're not doing anything, whatever, but there's just certain things that they're, she's like, oh, you know, it's not great. And the nurses there don't really know because a lot of it is their first job. So your first job, you always think they were on top of everything. Um, so you don't know that you just don't know any better type deal. So then you get these travel nurses and I was, I myself was like that there, I mean, don't get me wrong. I still think where I was trained was great. I mean, they gave me seven months of like orientation to the ICU. I mean, that's unheard of, you know? Um, but you know, I went to the next place, which is a decent hospital. Um, and I was like, you guys are crap, blah, 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 you know, totally unprofessional and, and you know, ashamed of, <laughs> ashamed of myself a little bit. But, you know, I really, I, you know, you, you don't know that your hospital is not as great as it is until you go to other hospitals. And, and that's a transition also. Yes. And then it's a willingness in your personality to admit that what you were taught and how you managed your care before might not have been the best. Like it, it's, it's, it's a process. <laughs> it is a process. And that's, I mean, that's why I also tell my students, you know, to get out there and do something in nursing. Like for me, like I love my unit. Mm-hmm. I've gone through a lot in my unit and yeah, it's really just been a really good process of improvement every single year I've been there. But I've also have done things outside of the hospital mm-hmm. and have met other people from other hospitals. Yeah. And I think that that's so important that people don't, don't, I mean, they can't do it now, right? We're on lockdown <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. really you shouldn't meet in person right now. But, you know, once hopefully restrictions are, are lessened, mm-hmm. people can go and join a local chapter and yeah. get involved in more regional things than than being it on their unit all the time. Yeah, and I think that's, that's really important. Yeah, th- that's a struggle f- for me myself because I'm lazy. Uh, but I do agree with it hundred um, percent. So, like one of the things in Uganda that was really awesome to see yes. happening 
was they were starting to try to build up nurses. Um, I mean, they, they're low resource in the, just even the amount of people they have to help. So you had one nurse taking care of 40 patients in their ER. Like, wow. yeah, so you had a lot, but it was really interesting. Um, I got to, I was so fortunate. I got to go to their first critical care East African uh, meeting mm -hmm. and my students, like my students came too. my students got to talk to the Kenyan nurses and Kenya's healthcare is, is different. And they do all this stuff. They ha do have more resources because um, their government has made it a, a little bit more of a priority. Um, but, but they had different resources and it was uh, really awesome to hear what the different ones do, you know, because you, you, the nice thing in Uganda, and, and this is what I struggle with right now in the U.S., because we are in the U.S. limited resource with PPE and things like that. Mm -hmm. But one thing I learned in Uganda was just because you don't have the resources, you should not change your standard of care. Correct. Correct. Now, now you do the best you can right. always. But I was told you teach what the standard of care is. You should always know the goal. <laughs> and I and I feel like some of the things have changed and maybe it's more my uh, company I'm working with. Um, you know, I, I can't say 100 percent, but I feel like because we can't meet the standard of care. And this is like one of the first times it would have been for a lot of people in our, our nation. Um, they don't want to admit they're not meeting the standard of care and so are changing the standard. Yes. Which is upsetting to me. Yes. Yes. I will say, you know, working in a COVID ICU is a lot different than working in a neuro ICU or even a medical ICU mm -hmm. because you can't do things like in your normal capacity. So for yeah. example, uh, you cannot go into the room every two hours or even mm -hmm. every hour unless you have to. So yeah. examples would be like, you know, if the patient is on CRT or if they're on an insulin drip, you can check a sugar every hour, um, or if they need ECMO care or things like that. But you really can't go in there every time because you're going to put yourself at greater risk for getting COVID. Mm -hmm. So that standard of care is a little bit different. And I know nurses that are kind of like frustrated by it. Mm -hmm. that they can't turn their patient every two hours or, you know, do things like that. And it's kind of like, if you do great, but, you, but you're not supposed to because of risk. Mm -hmm. But I agree, you know, because there's, there's so much other things that nurses can do. Mm -hmm. So one of my colleagues and friends used to work at a hospital where they did not have like the cream de la cream of supplies. Mm -hmm. And they had to actually like MacGyver <laughs> some things mm -hmm. to make things work. And so when she problem solves, it's actually a really neat process because she's using really inexpensive things to solve the problem. Oh yeah. But I digress. That's really neat though, that <laughs> you can, that you've, you found that though in Uganda and, and the differences between care between Kenya and Uganda. Oh, well, Kenya did this really interesting thing. Um, now, I don't think it's going so well right now. I'm not quite sure. Someone had mentioned that there, like Kenya has more COVID cases than Uganda. And again, how true are the numbers? You know, how many people actually even get to care? Like they stay at their tribes. Like, so, you know, that I don't know yeah. if that's fair to just say. Um, but Kenya's government um, sort of withheld money. 
<laughs> from all their people and saved enough so they could start a universal health care, basically. Oh. And um, and then they offered it to the people and the people were like, yeah, this is great. And they're like, OK, now we're increasing your taxes for it, which you you they only had a lump sum, like, you knew it was going to happen, but they also like got, um, I met somebody on Safari uh, who was part of Kenya's, they would start critical care ICUs, like every, I forget how many it was, like this is years ago. So I, I can say something, but it might be wrong. So I'll apologize, but maybe like, it was at least a day, it, you only had to travel a day to get to an ICU level That's, care. That is insane to think about. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, um, you know, and, and Kenya set that up where it, because I think a lot of times we we talk about team playing all the time. And I think what's very important about that is realizing you cannot have the same resources at every area. It's just not practical economically. And, you know, economics is very important in health. Yes. Um, you just can't do that. So like how Uganda navigated it is there was certain hospitals, you had tertiary hospitals, like uh, they would have clinics and then you'd go to the, the regional hospital. You, I forget everything. Uh, you know, if my students ever get to listen to that, they'll be like, how can you forget this? Uh, <laughs> no, but like there's different levels. So the care was different, what you could offer, right? And because you don't need it at every spot because right. financially that's not, that's not, the best allocation of it, you know, or I, I mean, I'm sure there's ways to improve it, you know, but, and so that was also good too. Cause I always remember like thinking about these community hospitals or whatever, being like, oh, they don't offer anything. No, they, they shouldn't have to, like, <laughs> you can't have every hospital offering the same thing. Right. Cause, it, well, um, it, because there's not, there might not be that many people to serve. Yeah. You know, it's, there's a frustrating part of people that don't understand why you just can't open up hospitals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and how like right now you know I don't think the general public has a good knowledge base on what it means for these hospitals to be overwhelmed in that you just can't build a building and serve mm -hmm. patients you have to see what the needs of the community are first mm -hmm. you know you have to assess if a cardiac cath is needed for your population and how you're going to market to people and how you're going to get people into the hospital to use those services. Mm -hmm. And and then you got to get the approval of the governing bodies that say, yeah, your hospital's good to go and up to code. And that mm -hmm. doesn't happen overnight. <laughs> it happens in like nine months, just the coding alone of hospitals. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it, that's a really good discussion point. And health economics is one of my passions that I've learned throughout this first semester of my DMP school. I took a, your, your first two courses were patient safety and health economics. And I'm thinking, how am I going to survive health economics? Cause I don't <laughs> like math. Yeah. Me and, me and math just don't get along most times, but me and physics do. And oh, damn. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm really good at really com like complex things like physics, philosophy, things like that. What I'm not good at is like algebra, which people are like, Oh, but it's so basic. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I can't, I'm not a basic girl. <laughs> very complex <laughs> so for me algebra is just like no um, yeah. but anyway so when I when I you know was in this course it really opened my, my eyes to what health insurance means and how states pay for things and how hospitals pay for things much more in depth than when I learned during my master's degree of how hospitals make money yeah my master's program it was kind of more like here's a hospital budget 
your units that are going to make money include labor and delivery, cardiovascular ICU, and neuroscience ICU. Medical services will not make money. Yeah. And then you get to the doctoral level and you really get into what it means for reimbursements and what it means for physician payment models. And there's like 9,000 physician payment (laughs) models. I'm just like, y'all are, this is not going to fix anything. No. Um, And then you get into problem solving and you raise a really good, a really good point with your discussions of how to make travel to be just one day in a very remote nation Mm -hmm. that you can't just solve the problem the same time with each community because systems are in place Mm -hmm. and they're very complex. Mm -hmm. And I also took a course, goodness, over the, over the summer that transitioned into the fall semester of implementation science. And that focused on tropical diseases that they had a, a heavy base in Africa. So they, so they took a lot of case studies from Africa and discussed why implementation science is a very complex science, but also why you really couldn't just solve a problem for everybody with the expectation that it's going to work for everybody. Yeah. The example was an anti-malarial drug that one, one tribe needed community members to help them get the drug passed along or the bug nets that they sleep under. And another one was we need to set up a, a group meeting that happens weekly to get people to take this drug. And so that's kind of like what you're discussing is like, you need to think about these things locally mm-hmm. because your resources are not the same and you're not gonna, you're not gonna spend some resources because people are not gonna see these resources the same <laughs> way, like a suction cup, <laughs> something totally different, you know, in a different ICU somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it, and that was another thing, you know, I try very, like my staff laughs because I'm like, okay, is this test going to change what I'm going to do? I don't know how much I'm going to be charged. If I don't know how much a patient's going to be charged, I'm very hesitant to use it. I, because financial health is health. I don't care what country you're in. If you have money, you automatically will have better health care. You, abso- you are absolutely correct. Yeah. So I, I, it just, it just, so it just boggles my mind. Like, don't get me wrong. There's times what I do is expensive. Generally, it's incredible how expensive STI testing is. I'm just like, are you kidding me? Um, But that's because I think it's public health wise so much more important for them to know what, (laughs) if they have any of these STIs, you know, but it is a, it's a, it's a tricky, it's a tricky balance of what to spend. Is it worth it? Is it not, you know? Yeah. So in an urgent care setting, do uh, like, is your clinic much more open about the things that you charge? So like, there's this, there's this example of, of a direct primary care mm-hmm. and what that means is it's it's open. It's you have the prices right there of like your top services. Mm-hmm. So like your Zosin is a hundred bucks. Vancomycin's fifty bucks. Just examples. I don't. Yeah. Know these. <laughs> but it's like a menu, right? It's like, it's like yeah. a menu of choice. You know, if if you want to be seen by the doctor, 
this is what they might offer you because this is what they they provide so here's our here's what it costs so it's interesting um they do have that but really only if you're uninsured. So, and so I obviously will have open discussions with patients because them taking an oral med that I supply to them doesn't cost them anything, but me giving them an IM or IV will cost them something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there's times I'm like, I, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm suggesting this because I think it's valuable. You know, I know it's gonna cost you more money. You can always refuse. This is the other option, but right. you have to have these discussions. Yeah. Now, what makes it tricky is when insurance comes involved because they, I don't know what the contract that was negotiated between the insurance company and my company. So you might get your x-ray for free or you might have to pay a hundred dollars, which is crazy because it's more than what we charge for the x-ray. So that, that upsets me. Uh, (laughs) I mean, there, there's a, um, and I don't know if you had to read it, man, I wish I could remember the, the name of the book, but there was a book basically saying how capitalism, like with the negotiations have actually hurt our economy so much. Um, which is interesting because you just don't think about capitalism. You always, you know, cause we're always taught capitalism's good, good, good. Um, you know, but there's just aspects of it that just is not helpful to, to what we're trying to do. Yeah. Yes. It's, it, it's kind of like one of those things where you, where you introduce something that you think is going to fix, mm-hmm. and fix something and then other problems happen Yeah, because of that issue. Yeah. Kind of like yeah. electronic medical records and <laughs> yeah. that disaster of electronic medical records. Love having things online, mm-hmm. but you know, it was a lot easier to just see a paper chart and know that the patient's been stable by looking at a paper chart. You can have to look at numbers and data. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's just data mm-hmm. overload now. Mm-hmm. But that's really interesting that you at least can have those conversations with, with your patients because, you know, at least in the clinic that I, I would go to for my primary care visits, mm-hmm. I think that's discussed. Like, I think they just, you know, kind of like sign you up for, for whatever. So primary care is difficult. I mean, I, oh gosh, like I think primary care is so important and I don't think those physicians are paid enough. I think that's part of the problem and what we're yes. dealing with in our, in our nation. I agree. But it's tricky because they have such a limited amount of time um, and you have to be very intentional and careful with these conversations of, of money. Cause there's, it's, you know, it's like when you ask somebody about, oh, what do you eat? There's always more emotions. <laughs> with it, you know, um, or shame. And and there's just more to it than just that. And um, until you get comfortable or used to those conversations, it's, it's difficult. I know, I think there, there's more of a push for physicians um, to try to, but it, 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 it's, it's just harder. (laughs) Yeah. And I never really understood the, the complexities of primary care until I became a nurse and you know, you see repeat patients coming back for similar problems. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think one of the biggest frustrations is why can't this patient just agree to, to what I'm telling them yes. <laughs> and, and make these changes, right? That's one of the things that I think when you first start out nursing is probably one of the more frustrating things because you don't have the knowledge of how complex patients really are and how cost is a factor and how rural living is a factor versus mm-hmm. living in a city. Mm-hmm. And to your point, how much money someone earns dictates how healthy that they're going to be in life. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 so, it's so fascinating. Um, I would love to see more of it merging. 
yes. but again, I don't understand a lot of it. So, right? so I, need, I need the I need the information uh, brought down to my level most times. But. I, think, I think the Affordable Care Act is going to help with quell a lot of the costs that are associated with hospital care and perhaps outpatient care. Hopefully, have yeah. a, a hope that it's going to do that. Um, well, and, and you brought up something, you know, because I'm in an area where it's um, it's not a popular concept. And right. and there are examples of when it was first in place, it costing you tons and tons of money. I mean, I've heard yeah. that story over and over again. And I don't think what people realize is, in general, when you make changes, it takes like a good decade to get most of the kinks out. Right. And we didn't give it a good decade. And... Um, I think that's what's sort of frustrating, like, because when you talk to these people, they just want it to go back to status quo. And it's like, but we know it's not working. Right. Like, at least it was a try. Like, it wasn't perfect, 100%. But the status quo isn't working. It's Correct. just not. We got to try something. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And to that point, it's going to be expensive because of the way population expensing, as you will, works and how group pricing works. So if you have more people involved, for instance, this is why healthcare and big businesses is a good thing for insurance companies because you can pull people mm -hmm. and assess their health and then make your healthcare spending. You can kind of like predict that. And then you can offer different insurance levels based on the pooling of those people. Mm. So with the Affordable Care Act, you need to have more people enrolled to help bring down the price of the insurance mm. because you have to pull people to assess their health. And although the pricing was really ridiculous at first, because if you were a 40 year old in Kansas working as a waitress, making $2 an hour plus tips, right? You still had to spend $400 a month on your health insurance. Mm -hmm. And that might be half the price of your rent. Yes. And there's no way that you're going to make that money working in a diner somewhere, but that perhaps might be your job. Yeah. And so that's when it gets really sticky. So, and furthermore, to your point of it, you know, need to get the kinks out. Uh, it was not passed perfectly for a reason because it would have never passed as a law mm. if they, if they didn't build it imperfectly. Mm -hmm. I forget what article I read that, that, that stated that. And then there was another act that was passed after that to help fix something that they didn't do the first time because it would have never passed in total. Okay. So, so you need the, the argument that most people think of is socialized medicine, but it's mm -hmm. not socialized medicine because we still have private payers and we still have a public option and you, and you need that because the, the affordable care act is going to help drive down how much a physician can charge mm -hmm. for patient care, which is exorbitant in some areas. Mm -hmm. There's not this, there's not this, you know, cohesive level of I'm going to change, I'm going to charge X amount for patient care. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like when it, when, when it first started, physicians could charge whatever they wanted to. And the reason why Medicare Medicaid was enacted was so that it could quell that because they were charging such exorbitant rates mm -hmm. for patient care. And this is back in like this, uh, 60s or 70s, I forget when when that was passed. But um, they they learned that you know we can't just let people willy nilly just charge whatever they want for yeah. prices because it's just not going to work. 
And so that's where I, I find the importance of this. I, I think there is a really unique health system in Switzerland, since we're kind of talking about global health. Mm-hmm. Switzerland has a, what I think is a brilliant system set up for them in terms of everybody pays for health insurance. I forget how much it is. There are still private public um, insurance options, mm-hmm. but everybody's covered. So no matter yeah. what, everybody's covered. And physicians still make really good money. Um, so I think that that system perhaps is a lot better than just going willy-nilly on just a public option or privatizing health insurance. I think privatizing health insurance is the wrong path. Mm-hmm. We've, already, we've already done that path. <laughs> it's the wrong path. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I don't know. I just, I get so frustrated when I talk to, cause my, so I, I'm working at urgent care and then I picked up <laughs> a part-time job doing health risk assessments. And you talk to these patients about how much their meds cost. And I think what's, and this is where the capitalism comes in. Like, why can't we make a cap? Like, why can't we just cap? You can only charge this much. Right. Uh, Germany does it. I think Brazil did it with, um, HIV, they're like, we're not paying this much for our HIV meds. You will give it to us at this much. And, and um, R- Brazil's public health pre-COVID is pretty interesting when you look at it, how they do things. But but like, there's nothing wrong with having a cap. And I think that makes people nervous because they've never thought about it before. But it, right. we have these other countries who've done it and their healthcare in general is more affordable. The yes. fact that certain inhalers cost my patients hundreds of dollars each time they get it it's ridiculous it's It's breathing I have friends that have to buy insulin from Europe yeah to get their insulin price for for way less than what they would charge here yeah yeah well insulin is interesting there's oh gosh so there's this podcast about like the issues of health of money and healthcare crap I, I should I think I took it I think it's called an arm and a leg and it's by a journalist so he's not medical but he did one of his things that I loved was about insulin. And, and it's interesting. It costs so much just to do because there's, so, they have, it's an injection, right? So it has mm-hmm. to be at a certain level that that's why you don't have a lot of generics for it because you have to have this strict, strict code of no dirt getting into it. Cause the first insulin had like dirt in it, had all this other stuff. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Really neat. yeah. Mean, it's not neat, right? But it's neat to learn about. Yeah. Yeah. So it's actually a really interesting podcast. Cause I'm like, okay, like, I don't think it needs to still be like a hundred dollars a vital vial, but I understand a little bit more why it's never going to drop super low. <laughs> like right. there, you know, and, and I'm okay with them making sure it's clean. Yes. I'm totally That's okay with that. Really interesting to hear. I'm going to let my friend know, <laughs> you know, about, yeah. I, I, I do, I, I think it's actually just from a pharmaceutical company, the same company that you would see over here. Okay. Yeah, probably. I mean, I'm sure. Cause he hasn't yeah. died yet. So <laughs> it's probably the same. Cause there's only so many places that make insulin because of that cost. Um, but itself, it's actually really interesting. Like insulin in itself, the people who created it, they just wanted to solve a problem. And this was, they were Canadian, I believe. And so they sold the, the like patent, I guess, for $10. Wow. Cause they just wanted to do good. And now, and now I think, I think um, that's how it, it was like $10, but yeah, now it costs so much. But, but again, there, there's, some codes they have to do, but yeah, yeah it's, it's just upsetting. Hold on to that patent and then also just controlled how other companies did good for insulin. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, 
there's such a caveat to like doing things for the benefit of others and saying, yeah, you just, you could just take it and just go with it. Right. But then not thinking of the evil that somebody is going to do with it. Oh and yeah. Have good intentions with it, but then, <laughs> then you'd want to charge $900 for a vial of insulin. Like oh, that's just gosh. It's ridiculous. Insane to think about that. Yeah. Um, how did you get involved with teaching in Uganda? Um, so, so I, um, well, no, I've done a a bit of international work and it was always short term. And I had a incident where I, we shouldn't have been there. We shouldn't have been in the country. It was during a disaster and and that's a whole nother topic. And I was like, I still want to do good, but like short term missions are not the way to do it. Um, like three weeks. Yeah, three weeks. It it does a lot of harm. It can. It can. I shouldn't say it always does. I mean, I I do believe there is some good with it too, but it can, it can do a lot of harm. And I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I just, I still want to help people. And so I had a friend who did the organization I went with, and I was like, well, I'll just, I'll just wait and see how it goes for her. Uh, (laughs) You know, I'll just see. I'll just just go with my friend who's a nurse, and I'll just. Yeah, yeah. So she, uh, she, you know, she came back and I talked to her and I was like, you know, I, and I think about a lot of things for a while. And the more I thought about it, the more I'm like this, I, I need to at least apply. Um, and so in this organization at that time, it's SEED. Um, at that time, they were with the Peace Corps um, and it was a very unique hybrid um, and, and it was nice because going with the Peace Corps, you had the the security of safety. I, I mean, I'm sure SEED is still taking care of safety. Like, <laughs> but like the Peace Corps, like, you know, things got bad. You had an evacuation plan. Like you had, <laughs> you had all this stuff, you know. Um, they made sure the medicine you were getting was good medicine because when you go to a lot of these countries, it's a high percentage of them are uh, not active medicine um, or could have contaminants in and stuff like that. Um, which is very frustrating when you have a child with pneumonia that's not getting better because their medicine that their family spent money, hard money to get on is just not the correct medicine. Um, it's very upsetting. But anyways. You need to read Bottle of Lies by Catherine yeah. Even or listen to, there's a there's another podcast I listen to. It's called Drive by Catherine okay. It's a really good podcast. Yeah. And he does an episode with Catherine Even on the major issues with pharmaceutical companies and the yeah. drug culture that yeah. was like the worst thing that we could have done we didn't know right yeah um that it was going to be so bad but it's it's a really good listen and okay. i put it in my notes yeah i mean <laughs> listen to it i think it's like a three-hour podcast but it like it keeps you so involved in the podcast because of of like what you learn because they basically talk about the book that she wrote mm-hmm. and why like the the whole history of of the beginnings of 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 this generic drug Mm -hmm. um way and then to modern times of of what of what happened and why they're why certain generic drugs do not work and Mm -hmm. and then travel on to companies that are testing like batch testing drugs and finding that there's so many carcinogens in these in certain (laughs) drugs yeah like i forget the 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 blood pressure med that Yes. Found five carcinogens in a blood pressure med. <laughs> I'm just like, well, that's that's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a mess. It's a mess. So, uh, yeah, that, yeah. That would frustrate me if I was in, you know, somewhere like Africa that I was trying to help people, and you just don't have the meds there because they're not good meds. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 incredibly frustrating. Now, the nice thing is, can, again, uh, according to the pharmacist there, because I mean, you have brilliant people everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the pharmacist there, they really trust Kenya's meds. So that was nice. Like Kenya was building their um, pharmaceutical companies. And so you could at least, hopefully the, the industry was changing for, or the availability of good meds were changing for the Ugandans. Um, but anyway, um, so she, so I applied. Um, somehow got it um, because I, I have learned in life, I, I am not a good teacher. <laughs> um, I, I, I love the clinical, I love the hands-on, I, again, because I love the body, I love doing all that. So I, um, I feel like that's where I, I possibly benefited my students a lot was the clinicals um, and helping them link things together and stuff like that. But the actual teaching of the lectures, um, you know, I was really lucky or fortunate to like listen to other teachers. Like I would have guests come in when available. Uh, and I realized, whew, <laughs> some people are really good at it, you know, um, and, it, and it is such a skill. So not that I didn't, I think I did okay. Uh, but I think I was much uh, of, I was of more value at the bedside. I think um, there's, but I also think that there's different teachings for different things that you do. Like, because, you know, academic teaching and teaching a class is different than when you're precepting teaching, Mm, you know? And so I think that that's perhaps where you shine would be precepting. Yeah. You know, and like mouth care and (laughs) hospital sheets and the little intricacies of patient care that are not stated in academic teaching. Yeah. Or at least if they are, they're not, it's not, it's not quite as like real until you see a patient for the first time and you're like exactly. oh I get it yeah exactly and I think what was hard also was because I was teaching like master level students so th- and they're so smart and and so uh, but some of it is you know before their clinical instructors were unable for various reasons to come to their clinicals so they did the best they could learning why so you know but you still need to go over blood pressure cut, like taking blood pressure because you weren't quite sure where they were at in that skill so that was hard because like they're very brilliant. Oh, I had one student, she could go to the molecular level of most things I was talking about, which I'm like, okay. But like the patient care aspect, her seeing the patient, noticing that they're in respiratory um, distress and coming, like she would know they're in respiratory stress, but coming up with the intervention, like it just took some time. Yeah. Like she got there and that that's, that is learning. So you're that in the appropriate true. spot. But it was very fascinating to be like, wow, like you, you, you took it to the molecular level when I was talking about whatever I was, the immune system probably. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but like you're struggling with something that, you know, because of my years of experience and the the mentors I've had, I, I found very second nature. Um, so that, so yeah, so it is, it 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 is needed, and I think, and that's why we were there because. Um, you know, some of these areas, they had one nurse per 10,000 people when the population. (laughs) So you have that much of a a deficit that who, when they're teaching, who is going to teach you hands-on? They're over, they're overworked that, you know, and that was our purpose to come and just assist. And I think that was a very interesting thing. Also, um, I was so fortunate the people I was with, uh, um, 
I got to work with one of the physicians. He's an ER. He was an ER physician, was a health commissioner of Vermont, just an incredible, incredible man. And there are so many times he's like, what is your goal, Jenna? Our goal as a, as our, as seed is to assist, not to take over. Right. Cause mm-hmm. the goal is not our goal is for the people to be self-sufficient or that's what it should be. And what happens a lot of times is people take over because they think they know right, they're right. And it was so fascinating because there was times I'm like, I know I'm right. I know I'm right. I know I'm right. How can they not listen to me? And, and, and I still think I'm right. <laughs> I'll be honest. I still think I'm right. But that was not, it was, the purpose was not for me to be right. The purpose yeah, that's was. That's a, that is a huge, a huge thing to separate yourself from. Whew. Yeah, I still struggle. <laughs> it's, it's hard. It's hard if you don't know, you know, that the people that you're teaching are there for a purpose and they're they're there to pass the NCLEX, like for United States students. Yeah. Clinical is supposed to be this bridge to passing the NCLEX. They stuck, <laughs> they stuck, my first clinical that I taught was a heart and vascular progressive care unit. <laughs> I am not a cardiac nurse. <laughs> <laughs> I um that's not my specialty and so we survived <laughs> but you know it was it was quite different than just being on my unit and then the things that I really appreciated was feedback reports from the students oh, and yeah. it was really interesting like I think the second semester that I taught to hear what the students had to say about things that I could have done better but it wasn't things that I could have done better because they didn't these were issues quote-unquote issues that the students had that should have been an in the moment thing Mm. so you know and all and also perceptions of what a clinical instructor meant to them oh yeah which is way different than what you think it is yeah some some people want hand their hands to be held 24 7 some people want you to watch them give meds you know and and verify that what they're doing is correct. And so now when I, when I preface my students, I flat out tell them because I I teach seniors. So that's, Mm -hmm. that is a frustrating part when you have seniors that are almost going to be graduating and they still are not confident in their skills. So I, I try to teach confidence in Mm -hmm. what they do. And I'm thankful that the nurses that I work with are fabulous teachers at the bedside. Nice. Um, because if I had a unit that nurses did not want to teach other nurses and student nurses, that would just be so hard. And there's, wow. they exist. I don't know why <laughs> they want to be so mean, but they exist out there in yeah. the world. Um, but knowing that, you know, there is, there, there needs to be a separation from teacher to student and you're there just to support them for their clinical skills. Yeah. You're not going to do, you know, the, the book teaching, et cetera. And so when I, what I tell my students is that I am not going to be stalking you <laughs> around the unit like you might be used to. Mm-hmm. You are almost graduating. You are senior levels now, mm-hmm. and you need to be able to walk into somewhere without the expectation that somebody's going to be over your shoulder 24 seven. Yes. And furthermore, I don't hold hands. I tell them all the time. Like I, I am not that the clinical instructor that is going to rub your back and tell you that it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. I'm there for you. If you need to talk about really difficult things, cause that's very important. Mm-hmm. 
but it's not that I'm going to be your mother or <laughs> you know, a, a, a paternal figure. figure mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. most of the times, you know, now, nowadays they're like, yes, that, that makes sense. And we understand that. And I tend to also just allow students to make mistakes. Oh gosh, that's, I, and I know it's important, but that is hard. <laughs> it's so hard, right? But, yeah. but, and I don't mean make mistakes, like that shouldn't be misjudged uh, as we're going to put somebody in harm's way. Of course, yeah. But I'm going to allow you to just open the Foley kit box and, and start the procedure because A, that's what's expected of you, but B, I want to see what, what your process is like. Mm-hmm. And if you can't just do that, and make some mistakes and me tell you, hey, I think you're, you know, this is not going to go well for you because, because of the, these reasons, then, you know, it's, it's going to not help the student. Yeah. You know, yeah. Mistake making <laughs> is probably, it's probably my, my favorite part of, of the journey with students. Ugh. I, I, I know I've, I, you know, and I always tell people if there's a way to make a mistake, I've done it. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it. Um, so safe. you you can ask me and I'll tell you X, Y, Z. Um, but it, that is, that is, it's a necessary process, part of the process, but it is the hardest part of the process. Yeah, it is. It, it, it's hard. It's hard to watch somebody and you know that they're, that they're not going to do the, the correct thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also hard to not put somebody to feel like they are shamed. Yes. That's a very important aspect of clinical teaching. Mm-hmm. that I think is often not communicated very well to people mm-hmm. in terms of how, how do you, how do you not make somebody feel shameful for a mistake they've made? Mm-hmm. But this happened to me quite a bit of times where I felt shameful, right? Yeah. Um, made mistakes and, you know, you get put into an office and you're like, can you just please not fire me today? <laughs> <laughs> I promise I'll do better yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and you have to have that that gentleness and, and I think the, the forgiveness in you needs to start before you can allow somebody to not feel shameful of themselves. Well, and you have this, well, and you have this dichotomy, like, I don't know if dichotomy is the right word, but the, this interesting aspect of healthcare is there's no excuse for mistakes in healthcare because it's, it is, it affects somebody like it happens and and we all make mistakes and we should all admit that and we should all move on, learn and move on from it. But it's, it's not the, it cannot be the expectation you're going to make mistakes. Correct. Correct. And yeah. that's, and that's where it's really hard. I, I was talking to one of the MAs and I had messed up with paperwork and some of it was, they didn't have the paperwork there and they, and that was their responsibility. And, and she's like, well, it's okay. It's fine. I'm like, no, it's not fine. Cause it's technically fraud. Like, 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 yes, it happens. I will not beat myself up over it, but it is never okay because it was fraud and it was not intention and it was nothing, it was nothing big and it was fixed fine. But like for her not to understand the importance of it and why it was important for her to care was very upsetting to me. And I, and you know, for the most part, most people we work with, um, most of your students care and want to do the stuff, but every now and then you'll get that one person you're like, no, you have to care about this. Yes. Like, <laughs> yes. And I think that's, I think that's I, like, I, I drive that part home during post-clinicals mm-hmm. and why you should care about things because we've been through as a clinical group, we've been through like real life situations where another nurse did not care about things. <sighs> happening. 
I won't get into the details, um, but it was, I, I kind of drove it home and I was like, this is why you need to care about every single thing because of, because this could have happened to the patient, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I always teach my students about how they're going to kill their patients. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. It's not, it's not, um, it's not a morbid thing, although it sounds morbid, right? But it's, it's like, you know, the ICU is this, is this layer between life and death. Mm-hmm. And everything you are trying to do is saving a life, not killing a life. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't check labs, if you don't check an IV site, if you don't mm-hmm. position the patient a certain way, they will die. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of like helps to drive it home. And I think the other part of it is, you know, going back to our previous conversation about professionalism mm-hmm. is that you are the professional driving the expectation of performance and perfection mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be the straight and narrow per, you know um, perfection mm-hmm. but it does have to be that you are constantly improving and constantly getting better yes and that's the difference between fraud <laughs> Gosh, yes. fraudulent practices and and lying on your charting and doing a good job and being a being a good nurse yeah yeah boom yeah it's yeah it, it's it's yeah. And, and like you said, with the shame, like it's such a, it's, everything's a hard balance, you know, it's, and, and that's the, that's why they call it an art. You know what I mean? It's figuring mm. out that balance of everything. Mm. That's just, that also, it's another podcast episode that I was listening to today as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> Brene Brown has a podcast called Unlocking Us. Mm. And it was this episode, I didn't even finish it, but he, he, excuse me, she talks with David Engelman, who is a neuroscientist. Mm. And the first couple of minutes discuss the, the, the really strict binary thought process of that you have to declare either STEM or liberal arts. Hmm. And that there's this thinking that it can't be both. And it can be both. You know, you can major in British literature, which is what David has done, <laughs> and then go on to be a neuroscientist. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, that's so just it just blew my mind apart to think that way because me, I graduated from my degree in philosophy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I went back to nursing school and no one believed me that I could do both degrees and it would mean something. Yeah. And it, it can happen like that. I mean, now, I mean, philosophy is the degree of, (laughs) is the degree (laughs) of bullshitting. Right. And what do you do as a nurse? Sometimes, (laughs) sometimes people, that, that things are ultimately good for them in a, in a specific way. And you're not lying to them, mm-hmm. but you have to have a certain communication style that is, that helps them understand that this is going to be safe and okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so that's, that's where my degrees come into, but you know, that's a very good um, parallel to what you're saying with the art and science. Mm-hmm. It's both liberal arts and STEM. It is both, both things. And, and to respect that is super important. And I think yeah, that's, yeah what needs to be taught more so in diploma programs and associate degree programs is the balance of art and science and not just always science. Cause mm-hmm. I think that's, that's where people get frustrated was, well, I'm going for my bachelor's, but why do I have to take sociology? Mm-hmm. Why do I have to take, you know, this art course, you know, why do I have to take this, this stuff? And, and to me, I'm like, I understand, like, it's kind of silly to think about it that way. Right. Yeah. But you're going to appreciate things because both the art and science are trying to help explain life in their own way, mm-hmm. which I think is is what nursing does. Boom. 
That was yeah. Well, what I love in Pennsylvania, I think this is a requirement in Pennsylvania because I've talked to my friends in other places. Like my mom went for her accounting degree and she's like, why do I have to take psych? I'm like, because everybody's crazy. <laughs> Tell me, tell me a day when you haven't ran into somebody crazy, but you know what I mean? Like, and I, and I feel like it, I feel like that's, you know, some of these courses you don't, you, you cannot, when you're focused on your degree, understand the importance of it until you look back and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, that was important. Cause later on, you know, after she finished, she's like, yeah, yeah, that's psych. That was good. (laughs) (laughs) You You can't, I mean, you can't just. In, in my opinion, you know, the, the broader knowledge base you have over understanding humanity and people, mm-hmm. you're going to be a better person. And also, you know, you got to tell the financial person that people have OCD and that it's totally psych. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, accounting is OCD, right? <laughs> so. I don't know. My mom gets such a high when she saves people money. She, <laughs> I'm oh, like, yeah, I was like, you're in the right career because I could never do it. <laughs> I mean, uh, saving, my, saving myself money is great too. So yeah. <laughs> I get it. I just don't want to do it for people, yeah. but I do to her, to her point though. I mean, I do teach my, my students financial things. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm not a financial expert I, and I let them know that, <laughs> but when they graduate, they're going to have bills. They're going to have rent. They're going to have, um, school payments if they took out loans uh they're gonna have so many things that they probably haven't thought of yet because the school does not teach them that no so it is important to to combine all of these things and i think i think episodes some of these episodes in the future are going to have outside people mm-hmm. uh, from outside nursing that will help bridge those gaps that my students have and help just discuss what mortgages are yeah what is financial accounting. Why do I have to create a budget? Why should I matter about owning a home versus renting a home? What does that matter? Why does where I live determine how much money I make per hour? Why isn't that the same? You know, concepts like that. Well, I think that goes, I mean, it go, it goes into social health. And I, and I think, you know, what we're looking at right now with COVID and, and we know, uh, Hispanics, uh, African-American, they're having more death rates and, and, and everything with COVID. And so I just listened to a podcast uh, talking about the it, the, it can be linked to the social detri- social detriments. I think I have the word right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and what does that mean? And, and some of that is with financial, some of it's where you live, some of it, I mean, global warming is going to, you have to think about it. I mean, there's some ER physicians that are like, we need to be teaching more about global warming because it is affecting the health of our people. Yeah. So that was one of the biggest things with um, the Southeast United States mm-hmm. is, is that, oh, I, I'll have to send, I'll have to send it to you. I posted it on, on my Facebook where if you paid attention to the oceans and like around like Florida, Georgia, New Orleans, like that area, mm-hmm. how global warming actually impacted health. And I was in another like a like a zoom presentation where they discussed why black people mm-hmm. are significantly at higher risk for health problems especially in the southeast because of global warming mm. and that was mind open like mind-boggling to me like it blew my mind apart because i d- i didn't have the knowledge before to appreciate that and then they mm-hmm. shared that i was like oh i was like that's why it's so important and because mm-hmm. We don't see this stuff up here in the Northeast of, of the no. 
you know what I mean? Like, but it's totally different down South mm-hmm. and you're right. Like social determinants and why we should care about the environment. is just like so important. And I think that's the, I mean, I don't know if we want to talk too much of our disappointments with COVID and healthcare and humanity and stuff like that. <laughs> but, probably not. But like, probably not, probably not. But with COVID, you know, public health for such a long time was, that was the thing, you know, get involved in public health, global health, you know, everything. And I still think public health is very, very important, but we see the public doesn't care. <laughs> and so it's like, wow, you're trying you know, and, and, and it seems like public health matters when you don't have to do anything. When they switch the water pipes, you know, when they when they figure out, um, I don't, I'm trying to think, the biggest one I can think about is like the water, right? Like when the government takes care of your water, public health matters. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter when you have a responsibility. No. And I, and I th- and welcome to health insurance. <laughs> so full <laughs> circle. So it just, it's, 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 uh, so, I don't know. Maybe, well, maybe a little depressing, but but yeah. So I, I, because I've I've always thought, you know, I like to learn. I was like, well, maybe I'll do some more with public health. And I'm like, at this point, I don't think. I, I think, what's the point? Right. <laughs> you know. Right. It's 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 frustrating. I think being a public health professional must be so frustrating. Yeah. Right now, because of what you're trying to accomplish, is not what the people care about. Mm-hmm. And perhaps maybe in the future, somebody will convince the people that public health matters more so kind of like how when president obama left office his main goal was to make people vote Mm -hmm. he said that time and time again like he's going to help make importance of why people should vote and there's a lot of other workings i'm sure that went into it but a ton of people voted this time and that was, that was like impressive. And I was like, well, that maybe someone will do that with public health. Yeah. Maybe we'll, we'll have a greater importance of it after this. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, just like voting, like you were saying, it's an individual decision mm-hmm. and making it individual to a public. And, and that's where, uh, you know, I've talked to people I work with, you know, because people are nervous about the vaccines. And I'm like, I think it's your, with COVID, the COVID vaccine. I was like, I, I truly believe that if you believe this is important for the public, it is important for you to show that you will get it. <laughs> like, you, but you know, you have to show the actions, um, just like wearing the masks. Like, mm. I, I don't care if you're not around anybody, if you're in the clinic and a patient walks in, you should have that mask on because that shows to them it's important. Now, it, it's not necessary, you know, cause you're six feet away, blah, 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 all that stuff. But it, it you have to convey to people that it's important. Yes. And that's what's been missing so much from our administ- current administration, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah. Um, that you need to lead, obviously, not only with verbal leadership, but with nonverbal leadership. Mm-hmm. And you have to make those things important. Because, you know, I've had pe- many people ask me, well, we can't really be this, this silly or this incompetent to understand these, these processes. And I said, well, <laughs> so there's a reason why we have a third grade reading level in our hospital to explain things to patients because the majority of people are not that educated and it's not their fault mm-hmm. that that this is what it is. It's a lot of different systemic things that have happened over the course of many years that have gotten us to this point, mm-hmm. but we still have to try. hundred percent because just because you can't read doesn't mean you're not smart. I had a, 
it was a home health patient. And, you know, one of the last questions we ask is, what's your highest level of schooling? And hers was fourth grade. She's like, yes, I'm sort of stupid. I was like, no, no, no. I just spent an hour with you. You have such a great system for your health care. There is nothing about you that is stupid. Like, yeah, there is nothing. Uh, you know, my father's a farmer. He would read my nursing journals when I had when they arrived to the house, and and, and you know some of it he didn't understand, but some of it like we talk and he understand. You know, I think we've gone to the assumption that people can't understand things. No, 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 and we are just not explaining it correct. We're not using the modalities we can in Ethiopia for COVID. They use the phone call now. Ethiopia has their own issues right now, so I don't know how much of a, a example you want to use them, but. They, their government is in control of their phone service, which again is something different. Mm -hmm. um, but when you were dialing your friend, they gave information about COVID during the dial tone. Oh. Right? Like we're, we're just not utilizing what we can. And well, some, I, I think other people would probably assume that that's probably something creepy and <laughs> unconstitutional or something. Who the hell knows? Yeah. What. I don't, yeah, you're right. You're right. But like we have, like, we're just not utilizing it right. I, I feel like I don't know yeah but I'm right. not creative enough to come up with some of these ideas right I think a lot of things are underutilized one of the one of the biggest wow factors for me a disappointing wow factor I know we said we weren't going to discuss about disappointing factors but here we are <laughs> it's good though because this is a really huge point that in when this outbreak first started mm -hmm. um you know, we did not do enough, in my opinion, to get PPE out there, to get ventilators out there, to help hospital systems that do not have a good infrastructure to help their patients. That's a fact, because you saw the overwhelmingness of hospitals all across the country. Mm -hmm. I think New York was probably hit the worst. Mm -hmm. And we exposed how horrible certain organizations and systems, not, I'm not blaming any hospital in, you know, at all, organization meaning a broad term of how hospitals work together in a state mm -hmm. that it's fractured oh yeah. and what happened was ppe got shipped over to us but then ppe was dispersed to companies to sell to hospitals and so what that caused is if your hospital was not making money you can't afford ppe mm. And so explains why my hospital, oh, take that out. Don't put that in. <laughs> oh, you have these hospitals now that um, can't afford PPE because perhaps they don't make money. Perhaps they canceled their, um, their elective surgeries, which may have been a large driving factor of financial freedom for them. Mm -hmm. And so now you have PPE shortages all over the, the nation. I'll have, to, I'll have to find the that article, but but that was the um, that was one of the things I read in the last month of of what happened with the PPE because we got PPE from other countries, it just wasn't dispersed to hospitals, and that's that's an issue. Yeah, there's such a little issue. bit of an issue. Well, what's interesting? So I was, you know, we have these phone calls, you know, with my company, and we, and it was about different stuff, but they one thing they mentioned, and I didn't even think about. Apparently, there's a plastic shortage. And yes, yeah. And so they're saying like they can't make the pipettes for some of the testing modalities for COVID and stuff like that. I'm like, oh my gosh, like you forget how intertwined everything is. Yeah. yeah. It's so intertwined. And, you know, there shouldn't be 
there shouldn't be a reason why we are in December of this pandemic and we still don't have PPE for hospitals. Yeah. Like that's just, that's just my bath, my baffling to me that we just, people who have control of that never made that happen. You know, my students are calling, they are emailing to check in on me, make sure I'm okay. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, I mean, and you know, and I check in too, because you know, you're curious about what's actually happening on the ground at different places, you know, Uh, but yeah, they're like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm alive. I'm, I'm alive. I'm still reusing my same PPE, XYZ, you know, whatever. Yeah. Oh, there's a good point though. Speaking of your discussion of Ethiopia, that it parallels what France did with their public water. Oh. So, uh, you can get free water all over France where water was not the best water. Mm-hmm. For years and then and then the government stepped in and the government allowed like water for everybody nice which if if we would if we would disagree on certain things i think you could accomplish things like that so easily but mm-hmm. here we are yeah yeah so <laughs> why then did you move into becoming a family nurse practitioner oh gosh this is really good so um <laughs> i um uh, i was like Man, better than why you became a nurse <laughs> um yeah, it is better. Uh, <laughs> so I was, um, I was going to be a nurse educator, right? Because I love learning. And I was like, and I think it's very important. And honestly, I didn't want to mess up. And I was like, you know what, if you educate people correctly, they'll figure out their mistakes. So if I mess up in something, if I teach them to be looking for resources and stuff like that, they'll find out I'm wrong. So it's not my responsibility. Like that was honestly my mindset. I, I now know there's more that goes into it. So, so <laughs> but that was my mindset for going into nurse educating. And I was on one of those like week long mission trips in Cambodia. And I had, I was triaging somebody and it was this woman, she came in, I think she had gloves on, honestly, gloves on. And she's like, I'm just losing weight. I can't swallow. Right. I'm cold all the time. And she was obviously like malnourished. And I was like, in my head, I was like, well, you're cold all the time. Cause you're, you're malnourished. And you know, you, you know, I, I went all through and it all worked out like it's from malnourishment. And I was like, yeah, yeah. You know, I went through that. I was like, well, you eat softer food, eat more protein, you need more protein. But she also mentioned her skin. She's like, my skin is, it feels hard. And um, I was like, oh, okay. Like everything else worked with my diagnosis of malnutrition, like everything else, but that one didn't. And so I was like, you know, I called over, I don't know if they were a doctor or resident. I'm not quite sure. I called them over. And they're like, I think she has scleroderma. All and, and you know, you look it up then and you're like, oh my gosh, it all matches scleroderma. Hmm. And, you know, because my goal in life has been to help people. And I was like, you know what? If I my teaching in a foreign country does not matter if I don't have a better assessment skill. Um, and so I figured out the, you know, the best way to or the easiest, let's be honest, it was the easiest way. <laughs> to switch from nurse educator to uh, more of a clinical uh, way. And and so family nurse practitioner was the way that it was the most seamless. Um, But that that was really why, because I I was like, I want to help as much as I can. And here I would have taken this woman and completely had it wrong. I I could justify everything, but I would have completely had it wrong. Um, Her swallowing is not going to get better. She needs a blender for her food with scleroderma. Um, You know, it it was, it was a very eye-opening 
thing. And so I still feel like my assessment skills, like that is a big thing for me, my assessment skills, my assessment skills, my assessment skills, Mm -hmm. and listening to the patient. I think people underestimate listening to the patient. If I just foo-fooed her last concern, she wouldn't have gotten the right diagnosis. And um, yeah, that's that's how I switched. I think that's a better story. That's a better story. (laughs) That's a better, it's a better (laughs) better story than well my friend was doing it and she's smart so <laughs> in my defense I was only 17 at that time but oh, and I, and I, it's just, oh it's 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 fine because people don't understand why they're becoming nurses anyway they just go yeah. into the sign up you know what I mean until they're a nurse they but but ultimately people have I think this internal like thing that says I'm gonna be a nurse and they don't know why that that is until they actually become a nurse. And then they don't find their niche for mm-hmm. several years. Sometimes, yeah. you know, sometimes people find their niches in hospice care. Sometimes yeah. people find their niches in clinic care and it's until you, excuse me, go through something like that, that patient that was telling you their problems and you would, she wouldn't have had the correct diagnosis if you didn't listen to her that's why you became a nurse, you know, and that's why you then ultimately chose to become a nurse practitioner, which is, which is really important. And I wish, I wish more people would assess their own strengths like you have before deciding to go on to being something else. Mm-hmm. My, my biggest frustration in nursing is the notion that people should just automatically go back to school two years after they become a nurse. Yeah. That's just so frustrating to me because the value that you provided that lady with a diagnosis and listen to her and all that stuff is much more valuable now than it would have been 10 years ago when you first started, mm-hmm. whenever that was. Um, <laughs> it probably was 10 years ago, right? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, yeah for sure. Because <laughs> we're talking about the hospital corners and that was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. it, it was a little over. I was, I was a, a young nurse. Yeah. I, I was, I was a diploma nurse. So. Yes. Um, and so that is why I have hard times with, with telling students that it's okay to go into the ER right away. Um, because it's, that's, that's a cluster. And <laughs> to your point, assessment skills are so important in ED care that mm-hmm. If you're missing one thing, it's a life or death situation. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of why I strive to tell people it's okay to take your time. It's okay yeah. to spend five years doing med surge nursing if that's what you start out with. It's okay to, to do a couple years nursing and then go travel nurse and see what that is and then come back to it. But it's yeah. not okay to assume that you are a competent individual right away out of nursing school that you think you can also achieve another degree or or a separate career, shall we say. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, and and to your saying, I think a lot of people, because we put this hierarchy in nursing. Yeah, which is good. We do. We put this hierarchy in nursing um, that there are so many things that are undervalued. And so you want to be in a hospital system that values it. Uh, I remember the one I trained at, a lot of my friends stayed there. I, I moved on. They didn't want me. <laughs> so I went to a different one. But but I remember, you know, they were part of studies on their floors. And this was floor nursing studies, education. Like, it was such a empowering system for these nurses that it, it didn't, I didn't feel any 
superiority being in an ICU compared to these floor nurses that understood studies that were creating their studies that were being published in journals. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, yeah, I think I, th I think uh, people need to realize what benefit they can get from where they're at. And that's the beauty of nursing. You can do any type of nursing and learn something and it's going to benefit you later. <laughs> You give in any degree beforehand and it will help you connect with some patient at some time, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. That's so important. Yeah. So what is next for you then? You <laughs> uh, I don't know. You know, I came back from Uganda and I was like, you know, you're on this. Well, it's actually very difficult to transition back for some people. And for me, it was hard to transition back, but I was, how long, how long were you over there? Uh, a little less than a year. Okay. That's hard. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, it's still, it's still short time. It's still very short term. Um, so, but yeah, to come back and um, definitely had a little bit of PTSD coming back, but, you know, um, thankfully I have great friends and therapist, a therapist I went and saw eventually. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, I was convinced I was going to continue with like global health, or I was going to go back. Because um, I realized also, you know, when you're there, you realize what you don't know, like, you know, I haven't put chest tubes in and there that skill granted, everybody I've talked to, and I don't want to undermine anything, say, Jenna, it's really easy. And it would make sense. Like, you, <laughs> you just need to feel them between the ribs and, and you go, you know, it, it would make <laughs> sense. But, but don't get me wrong, I'm sure there's a skill. And if there again, if there's a way to mess it up, I would mess it up. So <laughs> So, um, so I was like, yeah, I'm going to do an ER like training. Cause that would be the best thing in these, these areas. Like you would be more of a Jack of all trade. Um, and you know, I had these goals to learn ultrasound because again, that's an, a, a phenomenal skill in the U S but definitely when you go, um, outside of the U S it's, it's very valuable. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so I had all these goals and honestly, um, I was like, I don't like ER. <laughs> I found out, you know, working in an urgent care, there's a similarity and you never know what's going to walk in. And I don't like that. I was an ICU nurse. <laughs> I like that. I can pretty much plan my day. Yes. Emergencies happen, but again, I'm watching my patients. So I'm never really surprised when emergencies happen. Right. I mean, <laughs> like, you know, I, 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 I do not like just anybody showing up. <laughs> so. Right. Like you, you have like set uh, a set amount of patients with different diagnoses, but they're still yep. the same diagnoses all the time. Yeah. And you have um, guidelines for care. So you yeah. know exactly what to do yeah. when these people come in. Yeah. The ED, you don't even know. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, uh, I give props to all the e ED, like, uh, providers, nurses, it's just not for me. And I think it's very important to realize that. So, uh, so I stopped searching ED once I realized that, that is not for me. I was like, well, I do miss acute care. Like I miss it a lot. Like I, I miss the camaraderie between the doctors and stuff. Cause I, you know, at urgent care, like sometimes I'm the sole provider. I can call a physician, but it's just me. And I miss talking and learning and maybe seeing or doing, you know, all that stuff. I miss that. Cause you get that a lot in the ICU. Yeah. Like I'm going to go back to school. So I was looking at it. And so I had to find my own clinicals as a nurse practitioner and it was horrible. It was, it was absolutely I horrible. So mind boggling that people have to do that. It, it was horrible. It, it's, it's one of the things that needs to change because it's the, also the reason why physician assistants, one of the reasons 
they they can look down on nurse practitioners is and it's our schooling and that's fair that you have no idea what type of clinicals we've mm-hmm. gotten because there's not set clinicals um you know uh, it's that's anyway so so i was looking into certain um acute care and they're like you'd have to find your own clinicals and i was like i can't i can't go through that stress it, i mean it was so yeah. stressful yeah um, and so that put that on hold or, and then we were talking about <laughs> how I'm like, I, you know, with, cause we have to, we do all the COVID, we call the COVID patients back. Uh, you, you know, I'm just, I'm just sort of burnt out a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I just, I just want to be a medical examiner. Like, <laughs> I just, I just want to be in a room with a body that's not going to talk back to me, not give me excuses, like, not like nothing. I just, yeah, I just want that. And and, and I can't do any harm because that's another thing I, I worry a lot. I don't, I want to do the right thing all the time, which again, we talked about it. it that's not humanly possible, but that's what I want. And um, I feel like as a medical examiner, maybe I wouldn't worry so much because they're already dead. Like, I, I'm, I, sure, I'm sure it comes with its own box of concerns yeah yeah like I don't want them to like me to mess up so much that the families are like what did you do to you know there, there's there's other concerns always yeah I mean um, there's um there's also this medical examiner that posts her findings on Instagram what like yeah of like really unique things that um that she finds let me just look this up real quick because uh it's kind of like it's not morbid because she does it with a teaching method and she loves what she what she does you know what I mean nice um right and I think people who like mysteries Mm -hmm. that want to figure out things yeah um I think it's this lady I think it's autopsy.pathology Instagram I don't remember though I'll have to look it up right (laughs) it's a great one though yeah it sounds cool yeah, no, I, uh, so I don't know. I don't know what's necessarily next for me. Um, you know, eventually, you know, I'd like to go back into global health, but I'm a little bit um, particular about who I go with. Uh, just having been with organizations that I'm not quite sure. I think they meant well. I honestly, oh my gosh, they meant well and they did do a lot of good. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think there were circumstances, they overstretched. And I, and that's a, another thing. When do you overstretch? Because there's always going to be a need. But if you can stay in a niche, a lot of times that's when you do the most good. Um, so, yeah, so we'll see. Well, I, I'm, I, I'm hoping there's some adventures coming up, but I don't, I don't know. So, I mean, adventure it will probably happen to you. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't so. think I've known you without an adventure <laughs> <laughs> in, in your life somehow. And then, yeah. I mean, you just got engaged. That's an that's an adventure. Oh yeah, the, yeah. He's congratulations, by the way. Yeah, thanks. He's so great. He uh, he he won't look at any. I'm like, I got this skill. Like I can suture, right? And I was like, oh, look at what I did. And I did this special technique, you know, because of co- uh, how it works for nurse practitioners, you you sort of have to learn on the job and you sort of teach yourself. Yeah. So so anything you're, you're actually able to do, you're like, oh gosh, I did it. Wow. I'm like, you know, I'll put it in my, you know, whatever. Right. Like, I, I can't, I can't look at any of that, please. <laughs> that, don't. <laughs> I'm like, but look at this fish hook. I, I, you know, I took it out. I did this technique. He's like, please no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
just no. Just no. No, but he's really good at fixing things. So I'm hoping we do some international travels where like I can do my like healthcare thing and he can do his like fixing of things. <laughs> I don't yes. know. <laughs> yeah. Or just start you can start a podcast and then do this and then just travel around the world and do your podcast from anywhere you want to. <laughs> talk about things we could we could yeah if you ha do not have if you have a job you can work remotely you can go to hawaii right now and they pay you i think i think i saw something about that it, like just exists in hawaii yeah what a month yeah it was on i became a couponer during this whole quarantine <laughs> thing and it's on the crazy coupon lady um, you didn't have ocd you do now for me yeah <laughs> that is that's that's aggressive yeah <laughs> god yeah, oh so. man well it was so great talking to you for this episode mm -hmm. thank you so much for agreeing to be on it oh my gosh i loved it i love talking anytime <laughs> I <know> you do. <laughs> on, you're like so what's good with you and i'm like oh you know just the stuff so i was like oh well i should just start recording now because here we are talking about the things yeah anytime i'm here to talk I, I, you know i may not be right i i you know probably i'm not in most things but i'll i'll, I'll have a comment i'll have an opinion oh <laughs> Oh, goodness. Well, it was so good talking to you. Thank you so much for being on. Hope to see you again in yeah. another episode. Yeah, anytime. All right. Thanks, Nicole, for the opportunity.